Um, if you've got a Bible, we're going to look at Revelations 2. Uh, we're going to read verses 8 through 11, and this is uh, part of the, um, the, the part of Revelation where Jesus, through John, is writing letters to seven churches in the country of Turkey. Um, the Bible calls them seven churches of Asia because this was obviously a part of Asia at the time and, and still is. Uh, but this was the, na- the, the nation of Turkey um, around, along the Mediterranean Sea, part of the old Greek empire. Uh, John is writing to these seven churches. He's literally sending postcards from Jesus to these churches uh, to offer encouragement, to offer uh, some, some repro- words of reproof in some cases. Um, but t- all these churches are going through a very difficult season. This is around 90, 100 AD when this is going on. Um, the Roman Empire is ramping up persecution. Um, not a single Christian is uh, is out of harm's way in this season. On top of the persecution from the state, um, Rome, uh, the Roman Empire was was uh, had several plagues throughout the history of the empire. Um, there were several plagues that swept over the land. Uh, there was a lot of other opposition that came against the church. So what we're going through right now, I think, is pretty similar to what the ancients went through um, that were written to here in Revelation. And specifically, what the church at Smyrna went through Maybe your Bible has a heading in it, and my Bible calls this the persecuted church, um, the church that had a lot of trouble, not because people were causing trouble, but the world was causing trouble. And I think right now we can relate to that because our world is causing us a little trouble, isn't it? Our world is making it difficult for us to do what we have always known to do and what we want to do, but the world cannot take away from us who we are, right? The world can't take away our faith and can't take away our identity and our belonging to the body of Christ and can't take away who we are in in our faith. And, And Jesus says to the church at Smyrna, he writes to the angel or to the messenger of the church, the pastor of the church probably. Uh, here's what the Bible says, and would love for you to read along with me if you would. These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews but are not are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So not just to the church at Smyrna, but to the churches past, present, and future, I believe. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. I believe these letters uh, relate and resonate with every era and every generation of the church in one season or another, and especially in the season we're facing right now. We once more gather here tonight longing for normalcy, hoping and praying for this just to be a dream, that we're not just parking, that we're just in the parking lot for some silly reason, but that's not the case, is it? Our community faces an unheard of challenge and crisis in this time. Our country faces a pandemic with far-reaching and sweeping social and economic ramifications. Our world faces immediate and even distant, a distant future where more is unknown than can be known. Yet we assemble in this limited and patchwork fashion for what may have been what may be the last for several weeks, but we aren't in fear. We are in panic. But we assemble in confidence, in an, an act of, in a symbol of our faith. No, we aren't arrogant nor foolish, thinking that we're invulnerable or invincible. We know that our flesh and blood is feeble and susceptible to failing, even death. 
We know that to best love and respect and honor our brother and sister, we must put their interest above our own. And that's why we continue to worship. Whether in cars, through cracked windows, or gathered around various screens in our living room, we worship because we know that though we can't, God can. And though we are weak, He is strong. We know that this may feel like a setback against our personal against our professional lives, this may feel like a setback to our churches. But we collectively call things not as we see them, but as God declares them. We call things not as they are, but as they can be. We declare that this is not the end of us. This is not the end of our faith. This is not the end of God's church, but rather the beginning of a bigger and a bolder faith, greater and more equipped and empowered churches. We read from cover to cover in God's Word that this pandemic isn't the first of its kind and it won't be the last. But we know that this or any other setback is really a set up for the comeback like nothing that's come before. We know that our world may be fallen and our world is fragile, but we know that heaven is ruled by a risen Savior. One of us in flesh, on a throne, God's own Son, who walked many miles in the shoes we trod this day. The ground that was made perfect yet because of Adam's sin was covered and plagued by thorns. Adam was not punished for his sin, neither have we been punished for our sin. Adam took the the fruit of the forbidden tree of Eden, yet the second Adam, Jesus, came to bear the punishment for us all. He was judged and falsely accused, sentenced to die on Rome's forsaken tree. Thorns from Adam's curse were taken and twisted and placed on his head and made to be a crown. A crown mocking allegations that Jesus was a king, meant to shame and rebuke his claims of a higher purpose and a greater power behind his flesh. Yet that crown and that tree were not indicative of Jesus' true identity and his destiny. He wore that crown and he bore that cross, enduring to the very end because he knew the bigger picture. He knew the whole story. Tonight, we look to Jesus who hangs not on a bloody, rugged cross wearing a broken crown of thorns. He sits on the throne in the highest of heavens, glistening of jasper and carnelian, illuminating with colors of emerald and gold, flanked by lightning and flames, surrounded by a crystal sea. Yes, he once hung on a dark hill, but today he rules on the brightest of thrones. Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, to be seated on the throne of power in heaven. So we look beyond this old shaken world, past the death toll and the trajectories and the estimations, beyond the bad news that stacks up minute after minute, and we see in the clouds a Savior on a throne with a scroll in His hand. We see that He is reclaiming this broken world for His future kingdom. We see a holy city having the glory of God coming down from heaven. We see its pearly gates and its walls coming into view. We see the foundation of this city as it descends, adorned with every kind of joy, jewel, jasper, sapphire, agate, emerald, onyx, and amethyst. 
We look down on our worn and darkened pathways from the Great Wall of China to Pennsylvania Avenue. From Wall Street to Main Street, we see how it's impacted everything. But we look past that and we look up beyond that, anticipating a new golden street so pure and so bright, our reflections will dazzle from beneath. Though right now our church buildings are empty, we look forward to a heavenly home where there will be no buildings in which we will file into worship. Because the house of God, the temple of that city, is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. We won't have to wonder if the night will pass. We won't have to wonder when the dawn will finally break. Because in that city, there will be no sun and there will be no moon. There will be no darkness. The glory of God gives light and the Lamb is its lamp forever. By His light, the nations will walk. There won't be any quarantines or shutdowns in that city. No borders will ever be closed. No curfews will ever be instituted. The gates will not be shut. Nothing unclean will ever enter that city. Nor Nothing that's undesirable or harmful. Because in that city, there will be a lamb and his that He has redeemed, washed clean of any infirmity and all iniquity. There won't be any wait for hospitals. There won't be a need for hospitals. Because in the middle of that city, in the street, there will be a tree of life with 12 kinds of fruits, one for each month, all providing eternal healing and eternal life. In that city, nothing will prevent us from accessing the throne of God or the presence of God or from worshiping the Lamb. For we will see His face always and His name will be on our foreheads. His reign will be forever and ever. So tonight, we look beyond this temporary world to an eternal home. And we claim the promises. We lean on the hope of tomorrow. Even if the day never gets better, tomorrow promises the best is yet to come. We, like the church at Smyrna, find hope in the revelation of our destiny given to us in the Word of God. His words to us in this time must be similar to what he said to that little, long-forgotten Greek church. Jesus told them, I'm the one who is first and last. Before you began to go through this trouble, I was here. And when you come through this trouble, I'll still be here. Yes, I was defeated on the cross, but I overcome the grave three days later. And you will overcome whatever you face. Jesus says to us all in verse number 9, I know the trouble that you face, the poverty you've been dealt with, but you are rich in your spirits. I know that you are attacked by people of this world, by an enemy that you cannot see. See, they dealt with persecution, but not just from Rome, but from hell. No matter the direction that the darts of this world come from, we know their source, but we do not cower nor do we tremble. Revelation 2.10 says that we should not fear. We should not fear any of these things that we are about to suffer or could suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you might be tested. You will have trouble for ten days, but the word says be faithful even unto death. Those are hard words to hear right now, but Revelation 2.10 tells us that though hell comes against us, it cannot overcome us. This season of trouble, whether it be 10 days or 10 weeks or 10 months, we can rest and trust in the promise of God. 
Verse 11 says to him that has an ear to hear what the Spirit says, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. God has a crown to give to us when we prove to be conquerors over this crucible that we're facing. Like he goes on to tell the church at Philadelphia who was also running out of vitality of a little strength. He says, I have set before you an open door. No one can shut it for you have a little strength, but you've kept my word and have not denied my name. When this time has passed us, uh, it may, may it be said of us that we did not deny his name, but we use this season to double our faith in him and commit our days to him. Tonight, Jesus is in our midst, giving us a feeling, a taste of what's to come. But we know it's not because this ground is any holier than any other ground. We know just as Moses stood in a barren land before a burning bush, that wherever we are, exiled or isolated, we stand on holy ground. God's presence goes with us from here, preparing us, promising us a future and a hope. Regardless, when we meet again, let it be said of us that we didn't stop believing, we didn't stop singing, we didn't stop shouting, we didn't stop worshiping. We haven't and we won't. Because we know that God hasn't hit pause on His plan. His favor hasn't lowered. His goodness hasn't lessened. If anything, He's only expedited and increased His attention in His countdown from heaven to earth. Tonight we testify to these things. We hear the bride say, come, let who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. We hear his invitation. We hear him say, everything is ready. We know this plague is nothing compared to those who doubt or detract the words of this book. Nothing compared to the one that eternity will add to those who don't turn to God. We don't turn, though we trust we trust in the one who says, surely I am coming quickly. We say to him, amen, even so come, even so come, Lord. May the grace of our Lord be with us all. May the word of our Lord continue to inspire us all. We know that it is in times like these, the world looks for answers. It needs more than ever a church that is united and in unison. A church that is confessing and praising, not because conditions on earth are best, but because conditions in the kingdom have never been better. The world needs a resilient and a galvanized church right now. We want to be a church ready for a world in need and ready for a Savior in root. We vow and commit ourselves to your word, oh God, in your plan. When the, word when the world turns toward us with answers, we, for answers, we will be there. Better yet, the world's not going to be able to ignore our faith and our focus in this time. As we love relentlessly, as we pray fervently, as we reach out graciously, we know that Jesus came back to life and we know that He's going to bring many back to life through the revival that will sprout when these days end. And it's with that hope tonight that you have assembled in this parking lot not to hear what I have to say, but to hear what God has to say. And better than that, to join with your brother and sister across the parking lot, across from your cars. You're joining together with the people of God all around our world tonight who have not given up and who aren't going to give up. And in the distance, we can see that there is something heavenly on its way. But until it gets here, we're going to continue to let our light shine and we're going to be ready.
not just for Jesus, but for every person that is in need in this world, every person that's looking for answers. We have the book that has all the answers, so we want to be faithful. Let me pray for you. God, you are so good. You're too good, really. We call on your name tonight loud and clear. We hear your promises and we rejoice at them. We sing together tonight, even so come, Lord, even so come. We don't disregard our purpose on earth. Even this time of trouble has a reason, has a purpose for our good in some way. We don't understand, but we don't need to. We just need you, your assurance and your help. Lord, we long and we dream of an unclouded day, but lest we daydream and forget our earthly calls, we pray that as your setting sun shines down on us tonight, that you would inspire and ignite our passions bolder than ever before. In the face of this trouble, in the face of death, we aren't going to stop believing and we aren't going to stop trusting and we aren't going to stop worshiping. Lord, we ask you to heal our land. We ask you to spare our loved ones. We ask you to even spare our enemies. We ask you to surround those that have been surrounded by this dreadful disease, whether afflicted by it or ministering and attending to those to it, with it. We ask you to do what only you can do. And Lord, help us do what we have been called to do. We don't want to waste this season, Lord. We don't want to waste our lives. We know that with every day, we don't lose or get closer to death, but we take one more step closer to immortality. Just as your crown of thorns and your cross of death was not your end, this virus and all that it's brought on us will not be our end. We will return to life, come back to life with more strength than ever before. Lord, help us to remain steadfast and movable, always abounding in your work, knowing that in you nothing is in vain. Not even this season. Not any season. It's with confidence and hope in you that we ask and we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, church, for being here tonight. For allowing God to encourage us from His Word. For allowing His Spirit to move in our midst. I pray that every one of you will continue to hold on to these promises, but more than that, I pray that you would hold on to each other and remind and encourage each other that, uh, that this is not the end, this is not even a pause. This is a purpose and a preparation time for what God has in store when this is over. The church isn't, uh, does, hasn't ceased to function and operate. We continue to operate and function as loud and clear and as bold as ever, just in a little different way.